Today I get to talk about being brave in the face of overwhelming odds. Have you ever let fear make a decision for you? I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but I was tempted to do that yesterday. I maybe started down that road because I received an email from the school district officials and they gave me the list of the precariously housed students that we would need gift bags for them. And I looked at the totals and it came to 327. And I mean, that was just overwhelming to see that many elementary, junior high, and high school students who are living in cars, in motels, in shelters, couch surfing, and in encampments. So if you have even an ounce or a speck of empathy in you, and you put yourself in their shoes, it breaks your heart that 327 was the number this year. And the sheer number of it was a little bit overwhelming. We're in the middle of Thanksgiving food drive. That's going full bore. And then we want to finish. We want to give the completion elements to the medical clinic in Chicolte, which is water and power and sanitation and some medical equipment. Um, And that's going to come to $8,700. And I was just thinking, I don't know if you ever get overwhelmed or maybe a little fearful of how is all that going to get met, you know, this month. How are we going to fulfill our commitments? Because I want every child, I want every student, and I want the people of Chicolte to have what they need, knowing that we sit here with an urgent care clinic every few miles, and they have this one clinic in Chicolte. I think about those things. So you know what I'm talking about, how you can move from being overwhelmed to, to fear, like will we make our commitments, what will happen if we don't? And maybe you've been asked to do something overwhelming in your life, and instead of asking God, you said no, because you felt overwhelmed. Maybe you've heard about this Guatemala interest team meeting, and you feel like God's maybe tapping you on the shoulder, but you've told him, God, there's no way I can get that much money together, and there's no way I can get a week off of work. And so rather than talking with God and listening to what he wants to tell you about it, you just dismiss it out of hand. Well, maybe, though, it's your marriage right now that's really raising that kind of a challenge in your life. And when you think about it, your thoughts spin and your heart kind of starts to beat out of your chest. And you look at the challenges you face and you think, I don't know how we are going to make this work. I don't know how we're going to come to a place of peace and harmony in this relationship Maybe you watched the baptisms uh, happen earlier in this service, and that's never happened for a year. I'm like, man, I'm never doing that. Some people, you know, I found one of the biggest things that keep people out of the baptistry is fear. You know, because that strange process of being dunked by somebody else under the water. So I just want to encourage you, maybe that's you today. Maybe that's the thing you've dismissed. But maybe you've been unemployed for months and you're starting to feel kind of untethered and definitely undervalued. And in the midst of that, it's that, but you feel afraid and you also feel really angry. You can feel both those things at the same time. The truth is, a lot of us face things where we know this is the battle of our life and the odds are completely against us. And this is what Joshua faces this week. And he's going to show us how to go through that, how to be brave with bold faith. And bold faith will beat fear every time, every single time. So the big idea today is this, that bold faith is rooted in God's word in God's power and God's faithfulness. And if you saw some repetition there with the God word, you are right. You are right because bold faith, what I really want us to capture today is bold faith is all about him. 
Not about you kind of trying to stir something up, trying to manufacture it. It all comes back to him. And so we want to take a look at that, how we can move forward bravely in the face of any kind of fear we might face and do that with God's word and his power and his faithfulness. So in Joshua 9, just before we get to Joshua 10, where we're going to look today, I want to just recap something that's happened. We learn that the Gibeonites, this powerful group of people living in Canaan, became afraid of the Israelites because they were afraid. They saw what happened to Jericho. They saw what happened to Ai, and they figured, we're next on the list. So they put together this ruse. They went and made their clothes look old and tattered. They made their food look moldy and like it had been on a long journey. And they made their sandals look worn out. And they came to the Israelites and they said, we've come from a far off country, but we need protection from the terrible inhabitants of this land. Would you make an agreement with us? And the Israelites did something amazing. Because they believed they had come from a far-off country, they made the deal with them. They agreed to protect them in the middle of Canaan from the other inhabitants. Now, the thing is, when they made that agreement, they didn't realize what had happened. But shortly after they made the agreement, they discovered that the whole thing was a ruse and that these were inhabitants of the land. But the thing is, they had to keep their commitment. Because our God is a God who says that a righteous person swears even to their own hurt. So you keep your word even when it hurts, and that's what they were doing. And in Joshua 9, 14, what we hear is the one mistake they made with those Gibeonites. They sampled the provisions, and yep, they were moldy. Okay, they must be who they say they are. But they didn't do one thing that they usually did. They didn't inquire of the Lord to see what he was saying. So they're stuck, really, and they've got to help them. But now there's these five kings who are the next in line, and all the cities they rule over are the next in line to be annihilated by Israel, to be overtaken, to be overrun by them. And those five kings want, are really worried now because they see these Gibeonites joining forces. And that's where we pick it up in Joshua 10. Now I'm going to read the first 27 verses, then we'll jump to verse 42, which is the summary of the whole thing. And then we'll talk about these three things that bold faith is rooted in, and how that applies to our life. So now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king what it had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Horam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deborah, king of Eglon. Hey, that's not all, folks. There's more of those names where that came from. And he said this, come up and help me attack Gibeon, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops, and they took up positions against Gibeah, and they attacked it. So the Gibeonites immediately send word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. He said, do not abandon your servants. Come quickly. Save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. 
And he took God at his word, and here's what he did. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise, and the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. And Israel pursued them along the road to Betharon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makkedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Betharon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hailstones than died by the swords of the Israelites. Okay, just have to stop there for a moment. You know, those hailstones could have been the size of softballs or slightly larger, weighing more than a pound. On top of that, when you have that size, there's things happening in the atmosphere before they hit the ground that cause some of them to join together. But the key word here isn't even the size of those hailstones. It's this hurled word, right? So think of that being hurled. I like to think of it as like a baseball, professional baseball pitchers pitch, right? 96 mile an hour, one pound, you know, ice brick coming at you. And they were effective. So on the day that the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. And Jasher is an ancient text, historical accounts of um, great battles and um, men, um, just men. And it's one of... 13 mentioned in the Bible, and this is the only one that still exists to this day. But that's what the book of Jasher. I had to cure any curiosity out there. So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it since uh, before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Makeda. When Joshua was told that the five kings had found, been found hiding in the cave at Makeda, he said, roll large rocks up to the entrance or the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. But don't stop, pursue your enemies, attack them from the rear, and don't let them reach their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. The same thing God had told them earlier. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely, but a few survivors managed to reach their fortified cities. The whole army returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Makeda, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. Pretty understandable, right? I wouldn't be saying anything either. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought out the five kings from the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. And when they brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel, all the men of Israel, including his commanders. And he said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and they placed their feet on their necks. And then Joshua said these very familiar words that have been ringing and repeating themselves throughout this book. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. Then Joshua put the kings to death, exposed their bodies on five poles, and they were left hanging on the poles till evening. Let's jump to verse 42 here. It says, all these kings and their lands, Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, 
fought for Israel. So Joshua had this bold faith, and we ask ourselves, where did that come from? Because I want that. The whole idea, though, of faith may be kind of challenging for you. Maybe you're even just exploring the claims of Christ. Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is about seeing something that's not yet visible and acting as though it already is. Sounds kind of crazy, right? How did Joshua do that? He could see that they were going to win in advance. How do we do that in our lives when we're facing fear? How do we do that in the face of looking at our reality and it seems to say, no, that's not true. It seems to refute that faith story. Joshua's story tells us how. The first thing is that bold faith is rooted in God's word, what he says about the situation you're facing. What he says about it. This is so important. So what was God saying to Joshua about his situation? We read it there in verse 8. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. That was the Lord's word to him in his situation. The question is, what is the Lord's word to you today? Where your fear is. Or that impossible situation that you're facing. So first of all, God told him not to be afraid of five armies aligned against him. Okay, five armies, that's big. How many of you go, well, that's easier said than done. That's what I'd be saying. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah, mm-hmm, I won't be afraid. You know, I'm looking out at this mass. That's the thing. It's not as easy as it sounds, but it is incredibly important because fear gets in the way of bold faith. It makes us doubt the truth of what God is saying to us. And isn't this Satan's original ploy? It's his favorite thing to do. He came to Eve and did it. He said, did God really say? And he'll come to you when God speaks to you about your fear and gives you his promise, his way through that. And you'll begin to doubt. Did God really say that? Or did I just make that up? Or is that just because that's what I want to have happen? You ever run that one by your head before? Or maybe it was the pizza I had last night. You know, that's what we ask ourselves. When we think we've heard the Lord and then we hear his voice creating that doubt. He is called the father of lies in John 8, And he is the expert at it. He loves to challenge us. But here's the thing, friends. Bold faith focuses on the truth of what God says about our situation. And sets aside the lie. Refuse the lie Focus on the truth. That's where bold faith comes from in what God's saying. So God also didn't just tell him to not be afraid. He also promised him that he was going to defeat this alliance of five kings and deliver them into Joshua's hand. And God uh, and Joshua took God at his word and he marched all night right after God said that to him. That is faith, folks. He no sooner heard that from God than he knew this is the time to go. He didn't waste any time. He heads out at night. They marched all night and came to where they were going to do battle. That's huge. Bold faith is rooted in what God says about our situation. Proverbs 3, 5. We've, maybe if you're familiar with Proverbs at all, this is one that you might have memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But I like how the message puts it. 
because it's absolutely apropos when we're facing our fear. Here's what it says. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Joshua knew this. Joshua's confidence in God, his bold faith was a result of listening to what God was saying about his situation. So I've um, shared with um, um, various occasions about my dad's resistance to God and, and praying for him to come to faith in Christ and, you know, many years and um, many different occasions getting to share with him and just waiting for that to happen. And about what happened on Memorial Day weekend when my dad was 62 years old and he had a brain aneurysm and he was taken by ambulance to Salem Hospital and um, we got to the hospital and he was already in brain surgery and they were putting in a clip to cut off the aneurysm and stop the blood flow into his brain and when he woke up we'd find out how things were. Well, the next day he woke up, and we'd been at the hospital all that time, and we found he was doing well. So I went back to the farm, you know, just thanking God that that was the case. And when I went back to the farm, at that time, um, they gave us a call. And I remember standing at the kitchen sink at Jared's folks' place there and getting that phone call that said, it's leaking again, and we're going to have to go in and do surgery again because the clip isn't working. And so... I just remember looking out and saying, God, I don't know what's going on here. My dad doesn't know you yet, and he needs to know you. And just really, you know, compelling God, you know, to do what he promised to do. And he spoke these words very loudly to me. It's not up to you. That's my department. And it was just like he took a load off my shoulders. Now... I've shared that story before, but I shared that story so to make sense of what I'm going to share next. Because you see, when we think about what is God saying to me in this situation, we often think about hearing what we want to hear. Joshua heard what he wanted to hear. I mean, what he was hoping for, right? He wanted to win this battle. He, it wouldn't have been fun to hear God say, you're not going to win this one, buddy. Actually, if you want to study through, God does say that periodically to people. Um, but in this case... With my dad, it was a year later, and it was Christmas time, and my dad was also fighting prostate cancer, and that's us at our home in Bend. He was visiting with us, and um, we, it was Christmas Day, and we, Christmas was on Sunday, and we went to church, but my dad, is, it hurt him to sit for very long. And his doctor had told him, oh, this is slow-growing prostate cancer in you, you know, 10 to 20 years. Um, but I went to church And I was worshiping, and the Lord whispered to me, and he said, this will be your dad's last Christmas. Is that what I wanted to hear? No, I didn't, because things had just gotten good. He he had come to faith in Christ by now, and I was so excited about that. But he dropped that little thing in my lap, and I was like, this is where the doubts start to come. That's a crazy thing to hear. But my dad died six months to the day, Christmas Day, July, I mean, June 25th of that time. The thing is, I knew what God was saying. He told me so I could be ready and I could help my family get ready. I put together a family reunion, pictures of the whole family. I did that without telling them what I felt like God had told me because I felt like they might look at me like it was kind of strange if I did that. 
But see, God gave me what I didn't want to hear, but it was still for my good. And this is the thing. When we say, God, what are you saying about my situation, then we need to embrace it, even when it's not a fun truth, even when it's not what we hoped to hear, but it's God at work. So what is God saying to you about your situation today? Because that's where bold faith begins. Secondly, bold faith is rooted in God's power, not ours. God's power, not ours. So God fights for us, and he's a lot better at it than we are. And that's what he did here. First, God confuses the enemy armies as they attack Gibeon, and Joshua and his troops come in and chase them down every which direction. And as they're running, God starts hurling the hailstones, you know, and kills huge numbers of them. God fought for them. And God has power over the natural world. And he demonstrated that in this story, but in several other places in Scripture, you'll see this time and again, that God has the ability to affect the physical world. He can create hailstones. They might have been larger than any that have ever been, you know. We just know that the largest there are that exist nowadays that we know of is a softball size, about a pound. But God hurled these. It said he hurled them. So he affected, and what I think he wants us to capture from this, because the scholars disagree on this second part, how he stopped the moon and stopped the sun, which were on opposite horizons, right, at the same time. He stopped them in place. Well, scholars disagree about this all over the map. They want to explain it every which direction. But what we can agree on is that God will stop heaven and earth or move heaven and earth to help you. That's really what comes from this peace, never has he listened to a man like he did that day. That was Joshua's prayer for, for longer daylight. So the thing is, bold faith does not ignore the facts. It chooses to focus on God's power to overcome the facts. Sometimes people think that bold faith ignores the facts, that you pretend like that's not happening. No, 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 that's because that wouldn't be positive confession if I said I had cancer, right? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that bold faith is about seeing what isn't as though it is. It's about seeing what God can do in the middle of those facts. And that's what Abraham, another faith hero, did. He was told by God that he was going to be the father of many nations. And when he received this pro promise, it was physically impossible according to the facts. Let me read from Romans 4, verses 18 through 20. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said about him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. That's an amazing thing. He absolutely knew how impossible it was. You didn't have to ignore the fact that there's five armies out there and there's a lot more might collectively in those five armies. Joshua wasn't counting on that. He knew that God's promise overcomes those facts, and he chose to focus on that. So Abraham faced the facts, but he focused on God's power 
to do what he promised. Jesus, in Luke 17, says something amazing about faith. You see, he was talking to the disciples about forgiving people over and over again, which, by the way, isn't that just about as hard as any other fear? Yeah, to forgive somebody over and over again. And those disciples, they had the same response we do. Oh, boy, you know, increase our faith. You know, we can't do that. That's what they were telling him. And he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, get up and move into the sea, and it will do it. Okay, now I've always focused on how little faith it took, you know, and about our part, right, our little bit of faith. But you see, that's really not what Jesus is saying there. What he's saying is God is so immense, he's so huge, he's so powerful, he's so able, he's so capable, he has the universe in his hands that it only takes a speck from you, a speck from you to unleash the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God into your situation that you're afraid of, into your situation that you feel is impossible, into that relationship that you feel is a goner. He is amazing. You see, bold faith is not about your power. It's not about what you can gut up. It's not about what you can, I'm just going to get myself ready for this. I'm going to stir myself up. It is about God and what he can do. And that's what we want to tap into today. That's what I pray that you will grab hold of today is the power of God available to you in our little specks. So during the worst days of apartheid, In South Africa, when the government tried to shut down the opposition to apartheid, right, by canceling political rallies all over the place, Archbishop Desmond Tutu declared that he would hold a church service instead. And so he filled St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town, South Africa, and overflowing with worshipers. Outside of the cathedral, as they gathered, hundreds of police began to gather a show of force that they meant to intimidate with. And as Tutu was preaching, they entered the cathedral armed and with their notebooks and lined themselves around the inside of the cathedral. And as he continued to preach, they took notes on pads, because this is pre-cell phone, right? They took notes on their tablets, on their notebooks. And they stood there wanting to intimidate. And he continued. He was not intimidated by them at all. He preached against the evil of apartheid, declaring it could not endure. And at one point, he addressed the police directly. And this is what he said, friends. He said, you are powerful. You are very powerful. But you are not God's, small g. And I serve a God, capital G, who cannot be mocked. So since you've already lost, since you've already lost, he said a second time, I invite you today to come and to join the winning team. And with that, the congregation erupted in dance and singing to the Lord. And the police did not know what to do. They were absolutely thrown into confusion. Their attempts at intimidation had failed, overcome by the archbishop's confidence in God's and his goodness to triumph over evil. It was just a matter of time before apartheid was demolished. The thing is, that's not just a story for South Africa. That's a story for you today. He cares about your fear. You may say, well, that's not a whole nation of of oppression that's being lifted He cares about your oppression. He cares about your fear today. And so today, 
I don't know what voices are lined around the wall of your life or circling, looping in your brain, but I know this, that you can address them in Jesus' name with what Jesus is saying about your situation, and you can tell them to go away and release God's spirit in that area. So my question is, where is your faith in your impossible situation? Bold faith knows and depends on God's power, not our own. I don't ha- I'm not strong enough for the opposition. He is. That brings us to the final thing. Bold faith is rooted in God's faithfulness, his track record of following through on what he says he'll do and the promises that he makes to us. So Joshua takes these five kings, and they're like his object lesson for the whole nation of Israel because he brings in all the men, you'll remember, and has them surrounding these five kings laying down there on the ground. And he brings his commanders, and he has them put their boots on the neck of these kings, and then he said those familiar words that we read earlier, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. So what was Joshua doing? He took the current victory. He took the current promise fulfilled by God where he said, I'll deliver them into your hand. Here they are. They're delivered. And he said, now I want you to look at this. And I want you to remember this because this is what I'm going to do to everybody else that you're about to face. And believe me, if you read the rest of Joshua, you're going to know that there's a lot more out there for them to fight. And that's true in our lives. So in our lives today, God is building a history of faithfulness in your life and in my life. And when we come up against a seemingly impossible situation or something that strikes fear to our hearts and minds, we remember what God has done and we have our own version right there in front of us where I'm looking at those kings and they're on the ground and the boot is on their neck. And whatever your story is, as we thank God for his goodness and sang about it today, that his goodness is running after us. That track record is your boot on the king's neck. It's where you realize that he has and will fulfill his word to us. Psalm 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right and true, and he is faithful in all that he does, in all that he does. So back to my fear about the 327 precariously housed students in the Chicolte Medical Clinic and the Thanksgiving meals that we committed to and not getting everything that we'd need for them. I'm usually like super optimistic, friends. But when I got that email and I tallied them up because they had only tallied them by grade level, and I tallied them up, I was like, I mean, I really was like, how are, we, how are we going to do this? So I asked myself, what is God saying to us about loving and serving these students and getting this clinic opened? And he reminded me that one of his names is Jehovah Jireh. That's the God who provides. And he reminded me that love is a verb because love does what's best for another no matter what it costs ourselves. And he reminded me that he will provide as we faithfully prepare these gift bags and prepare our offering and do what God shows us to do. And he's going to help us have creative ideas on what we can save or sell or sacrifice to partner with him in loving these amazing people. 
But on top of that, he's going to surprise us. Because he's going to give us things that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve, that we didn't know we were going to get. He's going to surprise us with his provision. Because this is about his power, not our gutting it up. God saw this need before we did. That's the truth of what he's really saying in this situation. We get the opportunity to see God's faithfulness one more time together as a community as we serve these wonderful people. So I wanted to end today. I felt like God wants to end with this uh, to some time of reflection. And to do that, I'm going to have um, six or seven images that are going to rotate on the screen. And I'm going to invite you to um, look at those images and um, think about your life. What's the fear that would like to make a decision in your life for you? Maybe it's an impossible situation and you really don't see how God's power is going to work there. Maybe it's just a place where you haven't yet heard what God's saying for that situation. So I want you to look at those images, and I'd like you to think about that with God, and um, listen. What's he saying to you about that situation? Let's spend a few minutes doing that. In Jesus, we come against fear in your powerful name, the name that's above every other name, the only one who can rescue us. And Lord, we cry out on behalf of those, Lord, who are facing a fear today, who are facing an impossible situation, whether it be something physical, whether it be a relational thing, whether it be a job thing, Lord, whether it be just opposition in their extended family, Lord, whatever it might be, we ask in Jesus' name that you'd release your peace yes. and that your word, Lord, would come to them this week, Lord, they'd hear what you're saying to them and they'd grab hold of it with bold faith and they'd stand in the face of those who would say it can't work and they would declare your truth. Help us to focus this week, Lord, on what you're saying about our story, not the things we're hearing in our head. And Lord, help us also to rely on your power, to understand that they don't, we don't have to gut it up. I pray for those who are weary that are here, Lord. They've tried so hard. Lord, would you just do what you did for me with my dad and take that load off their shoulder? It's not up to them, it's up to you. And we declare that in Jesus' name now and say thank you, Lord, for your goodness that chases us down. That's gonna happen this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you, Lord.